from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. That's the big question. What replaces cash bail? 50% of cases were dismissed once we intervened by paying cash bail for somebody. Um, the criminal legal system is rooted in racial violence, right? Um, but not just that. And a lot of times we have heard that the, that the legal system uses um, bail and jail as a social, you know, support system. I'm Sarah Fenske. The Bail Project opened its St. Louis office in 2018. It was part of a new national push for the nonprofit organization. It had begun in the Bronx and showed the world how a revolving bail fund could disrupt the criminal justice system. The St. Louis office grew to one of the busiest in the U.S., and that's thanks in part to Mike Milton, who was hired as a bail disruptor and ultimately became the Bail Project's statewide policy and advocacy director for Missouri. Now Mike Milton has a new job. As we've discussed on this show, he's started a nonprofit organization called Freedom Community Center. And the Bail Project, we can now announce, is closing its office in St. Louis City. And here to explain why is the organization's CEO, Robin Steinberg. Robin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And we're also joined today by Mike Milton. He's the founder and CEO of the Freedom Community Center, which works for restorative justice. Mike, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. So before we talk about what's changing now in St. Louis, I want to give some context on the work the Bail Project does. Robin, what is the mission of this organization? So the mission of the Bail Project is to end cash bail, ultimately. Um, What we know is that cash bail is one of the key drivers of mass incarceration in this country, and it is the thing that further embeds racial disparities in our criminal legal system. And we do that in two different ways. We provide bail assistance um, to low-income Americans who otherwise would be trapped in a jail cell before conviction because they didn't have enough money to pay their bail. We support them when they're out. Uh, We send court reminders and arrange for transportation and connect them to social services that they ask for. Um, And we do all that, and that's the sort of response to the human crisis of of mass incarceration. But we also have a policy and legal team that work every single day um, towards long-term systemic change um, and work with legislators and policymakers and other um, not-for-profits and grassroots organizers in moving reform forward and systemic change that could be long-lasting. And I mentioned earlier this term revolving bail fund, which is really kind of at the heart of how you're doing this work on the micro level. How does that work? So when you pay cash bail, um, assuming that you come back to all of your court appearances at the end of somebody's case, the bail money actually comes back to you. So we created a revolving bail fund. And what that means is we put um, money into a large fund. And when we pay bail, what we know is that when somebody comes back to court, that money will come back in the fund and we can use the same dollars over and over again to pay other people's bail. Um, And in that way, it's a sustainable model. But it should be said, and it's important to 
know that we don't really see even a revolving bail fund as impactful as it can be mm -hmm. is not the solution to mass incarceration and the harms of pretrial detention and the ways that it impacts communities of color and low-income communities across this country. But it is a very, they are a very powerful tool to both addressing the human crisis of pretrial incarceration and to pushing systemic change forward. You mentioned an assumption here, and the assumption is that people will show up for their court date, even when you guys have posted these funds that allow them not to be waiting in jail. In your experience, um, what do the statistics tell you about whether that's been the case? Well, St. Louis is a great example, right? In, in St. Louis, Mike and his team bailed out about 3,000 people. It reflected 9,000 court dates that people returned to. Mm. Um, and 86% of people, you know, the, the return rates were 86%. So people came to 86% of those court dates. What was also striking and that we learned was not only will people come back to court, um, even if it's money being used in revolving bail funds, so cash was never the incentive that made people come back to court. Um, but the other striking thing we've learned is that once we intervene by paying somebody's bail, how many cases get dismissed? So in St. Louis alone, about 50% of cases were dismissed once we intervened by paying cash bail for somebody, which tells you everything you need to know about policing and the fact that folks didn't need to be and shouldn't have been in the criminal legal system to begin with. So, Mike, mm -hmm. you're there on the ground dealing with what Robin was just describing there. Tell us about those early days of doing this work as a bail disruptor. I mean, you're paying people's bail. You're able to get them out of jail. Were they surprised that this, this fund had kind of come out of nowhere to help them with this problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they were absolutely surprised. I mean, it was the experiences that we saw um, as we met people in the workhouse and CJC was, you know, mind-blowing for us and for them, right? Um, St. Louis has so long kind of depended on this arrest and incarceration model um, that we must arrest and then pretrial detention with a lot of people getting money bail as a determination. Um, and, and so both of those, those jails filled up really quickly. So it was, it was a foreign concept and a foreign idea that somebody would come out of nowhere uh, and fight for their freedom and advocate for their freedom. But not just that, in the long term, fight for this long term system change um, that can make sure that we have this change beyond the bail project being in the jurisdictions, which is exactly why FCC continues to do the work even after the bail project is closing in the city. Mm -hmm. So when um, you first sort of arrived on the scene trying to do this disruption, did the system even know how to deal with somebody who, you know, was a nonprofit versus some sort of bail bondsman, somebody who's like, I'm here, I'm, I'm here to bail these guys out? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, it was a complete shock to the whole system. Um, when we first started, you had to pay by cash. So that means that our bail disruptors were walking around with $35,000 worth of cash on them to post bails, right? That sounds um, terrifying. That time, this is St. Louis. Like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it was absolutely terrifying. But I think that represents exactly where the criminal legal system exists and where it is. Um, but not just that. In 2018, only 4% of people were released on their own recognizance. Everyone else received cash bail. And so we see this reliance on cash bail. We see... Um, that when we think about public safety, we often think about incarceration. We often think about pretrial detention in order to keep the public safe. When we prove really what the, the four, nearly 4,000 people that we posted bail for, but not only is that just a false idea, but it's racist given the fact that the majority of the people that are held in these jails are black and poor. And so we've been able to prove, we've been able to prove that not only this, is cash bill not needed, but really this narrative that we have around violence, around uh, people who, who are accused of a crime, the fact that we start with the fact that people are, um, in most times, and really as a public heir, 
we start with the, the fact that people may be guilty before they're actually proven innocent. And that's that's wrong and unconstitutional. So we've been able to do a lot of good work in the bail project in the city. Mike, so you kind of shocked the system a little bit. There's this very complacent system we'd had in St. Louis where it just wasn't set up for, for people to post bail like this. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of systemic changes has that led to in the way that the criminal justice system works in the city of St. Louis? Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's one of the things that I, I'm, I'm so proud of my team. Um, and as long as the policy team in, in the central level it really helped us think about those things. But we've seen everywhere from the, the next kind of wave of, of bail reform coming down with pretrial risk assessments and electronic monitoring, fighting that with everything that we have. And so right now we're in a city where we're no longer considering pretrial risk assessments. Um, the, the, even the electronic monitoring was so costly. I know you reported on this before, but it was $300 a month for people to pay um, for electronic monitoring as a, as a substitute for, pe- for cash bail. We, we fought that with everything we had, and now the city is, is, is waiving some of those costs, most of those costs for people who are too afford to, to pay. But not just that, we see uh, in St. Louis this, this growing movement, um, not just to end cash bail, but really to stamp transformative justice practices and transform, transformative practices in general around incarceration, jails, police, and prison. And so we've been a part of that work, and part of that work was our campaign to close the jail along with our, our partners, our city defenders in Action St. Louis, which was really centered around not just closing a jail that's inhumane, we all know this is inhumane, but also how can we reinvest those funds into community supports that actually keep us safe long term, like substance use treatment, like mental health treatment, like access to jobs, um, really the, the strengthening our social support system so that people who are who would normally um, who have done crime or are driven to do crime is, is actually supported to where they don't have to do that. And so really this, the, the work that we've been able to do across the, across the city and really across the country when we think about the national scale is fight all of those really terrible narratives that keep us in the same spot and really advance an agenda and a strategy that actually keep us safe long term. Mm. So in the city of St. Louis, there was kind of this like wink, wink and a nudge kind of system where judges would come in with pretty low bail amounts, but they knew that right. the defendants didn't have enough to pay even that low amount. Yeah. Um, and so that led to some complications. I just I want to touch briefly on a case that made some headlines here in St. Louis. This was the case of Samuel Lee Scott. Um, he'd been yeah. charged with assaulting his partner. You guys posted mm-hmm. bail. And, and when he got out, he ended up, police now say, that he killed her. And that was a case that that really drew a lot of attention and people were trying to blame the bail project for that. Um, Mike, right. take us back to that. Yeah, I think the Sam Scott case was a, a perfect example of a system failure. Um, not only did it fail Marcia, who um, unfortunately is no longer with us, but it also failed Sam and Scott. Um, neither parties were safe. And so when we think about specifically that case, what we learned was that so many um, Marcia had had called the police several times, and that case has consistently been dropped over and over again. Um, and and primarily because Marcia d- decided to to partner back with her partner again, and so the victim no longer wanted to be a part of the case. And so that's exactly why FCC exists, right? We see this narrative that the legal system holds um, of this victim and 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 perpetrator. Uh, we also see that we don't we don't fully support survivors of violence. And so FCC exists to, one, just start with the survivor and whatever the survivor needs in order for them to be safe. But also, if they want to do that reconciliation, if they want to get back together, how can we walk with them to forge a path towards reconciliation, freedom, and healing? And so really, the Samuel Scott case, which the Bear Project definitely took um, a lot of heat for, 
was really represent St. Louis jail crisis broadly, mm. how much we depend on incarceration, how much we depend on prosecution without considering what the victim wants and needs. And so uh, right now we stand in this moment where we're really considering these transformative justice practices. Um, how can we send to the survivor? And that's the reason why FCC is starting. And Mike, when you talk about FCC, that of course is Freedom Community Center. That's the nonprofit you founded. And, and the work sure. you're doing there, you're working with both perpetrators and with victims to try to find mm. actual justice. Yeah, responsible parties and home parties, yes. We do. We do work with both parties. And, and I know we talked about this on the air, but for those who missed that conversation, which happened now a few months ago, how do you begin mm-hmm. to, to tackle something that's that complicated? Yeah, I think that we learn and listen to survivors. We learned over time, especially with our work at the Bail Project, that survivors is actually calling for something drastically different than what the legal system has to offer. Um, and so our first work was to figure out what were some of those alternatives. Uh, we learned that of the people that we surveyed who are survivors of harm, people who have knives to their heads and, and guns to their chest, have said that they, they, they actually, 80% of them have said they actually recommend and prefer a process like FCC rather than a legal court system. And that's, that's, that's very true. What we see when we look at the, the, the data, we found that, that 50% of, of victims drop out of the prosecutory process before grand jury. So they're not continuing on with the case. And so when we talked and asked them this, we learned that most victims ask, like, they, they say, like, I'm re-traumatized every time a prosecutor calls me, or um, I don't want to continue on with this process. What I want at that moment was immediate de-escalation, or I want to leave, but I want to leave safely. And so really at FCC, and, and the, the goal of FCC is, is to really have this survivor-centered um, type strategy and design and collaboration so that we can actually um, fight for what safety looks like, given the fact that they're, they're closest to the solution to the problem. And that model we found, we've done with the bail project, right? Like we post the bail for individuals, and the more that we and connected them to social services, but the more we talked to them, we learned that they wanted also power and agency um, to fight for the St. Louis that they deserve. And so they start getting connected to the Closer Workhouse campaign, and we developed them as organizers, right, to lead this charge. And so that's what we're seeing. The survivors of harm and violence, um, and, and including survivors of incarceration, which is also violent, want to use and, and, and uh, wield their power so that they can fight for the St. Louis that actually keeps them safe and it's the St. Louis that they deserve. We're talking today to Mike Milton. He's the founder and CEO of the Freedom Community Center. He got his start as a bail disruptor with the Bail Project. Um, And we're also talking to Robin Steinberg, who's the CEO of the Bail Project. It's going to be closing its office here in the city of St. Louis. And we're going to get to that. We need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to delve into why that is happening in light of all these things that, that Robin and Mike are telling us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. back to our conversation. We're talking today to Mike Milton. He's the founder and CEO of the Freedom Community Center. That's a new organization that began this spring to work in the restorative justice field in St. Louis. We're also joined today by Robin Steinberg, who's the CEO of the Bail Project. Now, they opened their St. Louis office here in uh, the late part of 2018, and they are now saying that they're going to close it. So, Robin, you're closing the St. Louis office, but you're not shutting down the work you were doing. How is this going to work? 
So, you know, we have sites in 30 different places across the country currently, but our intention has always been to work ourselves out of business and to exit a site when we see that there has been significant change like you see here in St. Louis. Um, as Mike said, right, in 2018, 4% of people were being released on their own recognizance in the pretrial context, and in 2021, it's more than 50%. So there is significant change. Additionally, you know, the notorious close, the, the, the notorious workhouse is going to be closed. So we're seeing lots of change. The goal was always to put ourselves out of business, but we also didn't ever want to leave a site and exit and leave a community behind. So it's always been critical for us to think about when there's change and when we exit, like we're doing in St. Louis City, how can we support community efforts to keep the momentum for real systemic change moving forward? You know, here we're unbelievably fortunate to have been able to work um, as colleagues with Mike, and um, we know the greatness of his leadership um, and to watch as he takes FCC into the future to really reimagine a different kind of system. Um, you know, we're committed to Mike's leadership. We're committed to supporting FCC in any way that we can. And that's one of the ways that we actually think about um, exiting a site, um, but making sure that we're supporting the community efforts that grow from the ground up and can move this work forward um, to, you know, really recreating an entirely different kind of criminal legal system of pretrial justice system. So, Mike, if somebody is, um, you know, they've been given cash bail, and again, it's one of these low-level amounts, this is somebody who probably should be able to get out. Um, how are you going to handle that? Is that something where FCC will then go post the bail like you did for your work with the bail project? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we would do. Um, and actually what we've seen over time, we do, uh, FCC, do FCC does court watching where we actually um, watch and observe the, the bail hearings. And we're seeing um, a, a huge dramatic shift um, with the usage of cash bail. And, and if, for example, in the month of April, we, I mean, August, excuse me, we didn't have anyone who received cash bail as a final bail amount. So, not anyone. Uh, not, not one person. Um, so what FCC will do, we will continue to do the work that we do, centering survivors, using transformative justice responses to violent crime. But we will also continue to do this work of posting bail, which is obviously impivotable work to, to continue to, to stop the, the the, the drive um, of crime that happens in our communities. And so we will continue to do that work. Shortly. So, Mike, you mentioned nobody got cash bail in August, which is amazing. As, as Robin says, this is a real systemic change for a city where this was long overdue. But at the same time, the jails here are pretty full. I know the plan is to close the workhouse, but right now we have this, this annex that is on the site right. of the workhouse, and it still has a whole lot of people in it, in addition to the criminal justice center that is uh, downtown, the city justice center downtown. Mm. Help us understand that dichotomy. What's going on here? Sure. Well, the reason why the, the annex is still open is because the locks at CJC, no, um, there's some floors and wards that don't work where the locks do not work. And so they're using that annex as a temporary space to hold folks until they're able to finish the construction on CJC. And actually, there's about, last time I checked, it was last week, about 90 people just held in the annex um, until they get those locks finished in CJC. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what we're also seeing is there's been an increased use in no bond allowed. Me and Robert talked about this a lot early on in the Bill Project days. That, that the system will just adjust to some of the reforms that are happening. And that's exactly what we're saying with the courts. The courts have increased. Um, last month, we, we observed that 57% of all city cases received a no bond allowed charge, regardless of the charge that they, I mean, a, a no bond allowed determination, regardless of the charge that they have gotten. And that's because we, not we, but the system 
Um, the criminal legal system is rooted in racial violence, right? Um, but not just that. And a lot of times we have heard that the that the legal system uses um, bail and jail as a social, you know, support system, which mm-hmm. it is not capable to not capable to do, not designed to do, um, and and just cannot do it. And so we've heard judges say, because you don't have a home plan, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a no bond allowed. And I think that's extremely dangerous for several reasons, but but for the major reason is because one day in jail can cause someone to lose their house, their jobs, access to their children, supports that were already thin, which continues to drive them into very devastating conditions. And so what we're seeing is that the St. Louis jail crisis coming to a head. We have a jail that is that is broken. We have a jail that needs to close and was only open because of the reliance on cash bail. But we also see the courts um, not using the, the rule that they're supposed to, Rule 3301, which says that we're supposed to use the most uh, restrictive the, the least restrictive, excuse mm-hmm. me, the least restrictive bail determinations um, when, we're ta- when we're talking about bail setting. And so they're not following that rule. So we're just in the midst. We see that there's so much change that has happened with the work of the bail project. We've been able to encourage a lot of system change, but there's so much more to go. And ultimately, that will look like how do we divest from these systems and invest into community-based systems that actually keep us safe. So, Robin, previously I, I described this system that we had going for years in St. Louis as kind of a passive-aggressive system. Um, now it seems like in some ways it's shifted to a more just, frankly, aggressive system that they're saying, well, we know that Bail Project could post the bail for these guys. So for certain people, we're just not going to we're not going to allow any bail at all. Um, is that something that you've seen in other offices where you've gotten involved? Um, I, you know, it's important when we think about, you know, what replaces cash bail, right? And I think that's the big question is you can end cash bail. And as Mike said, you can recreate the same harms over and over again. So what has to really we need to think about is if if that a presum- the presumption ought to be release, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to now where presumption is people are held in detention. Um, so there has to be a presumption of release. But when pre-child detention is utilized, and it should be the unbelievably rare exception, right, there has to be some public, fair, and transparent way that that decision-making is made, um, and, that, um, and that that has to be done, you know, to make sure that the accused has counsel, that there's real evidence being adduced. The burden has to be on government to hold somebody in the pre-child context before people have been convicted of a crime. So when you're thinking about sort of what moves forward, you know, these systems will recreate harm, and you can see that they could do away with cash bail, but they could then wind up incarcerating more people, not fewer people, which is why it's important to continue to reimagine imagine what the system could look like and to stay focused and keep a critical eye on where there is change, whether what's replacing cash bail, right, isn't recreating the same harms and racial disparities that the that the original system did. And that's one of the things that our policy and legal team will continue to do. And I know that that's something that FCC and Mike will continue to do. Yeah, Mike, when we talk about these cases where there is no bond, is that something where a meaningful conversation is coming into that? And I'm also curious about the role of the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office. You know, she's mm-hmm. she was elected as a reformer. Um, are, mm-hmm. are these prosecutors coming in and saying, yeah, this guy needs no bond. There's no chance this guy should be able to get out while he waits for trial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, what we've seen last month is that 86 of uh, the prosecutor's office recommended 86% of all city cases to, to receive a no bond allowed charge, mm. right? And so we do see that there's a reliance. But I, I, if, I can, if I can reroute us a little bit, this is not just about Kim's, about Kim's office. Um, yes, they do not align with her policies. Yes, she needs to change that. She definitely needs to change that. 
to uphold the promise of that she made to the community. But this is really the function of the legal system. This is what the legal system does. I've heard people, you know, say that it's almost like a, a swimming in a river with a current, right? We see that the legal system just shifts because its primary job is to, to cage and oppress. And so that's why it's even more important for, for organizations like SEC or our city defenders to continue to push the envelope on, on, and dream about how we can reimagine public safety that does not rely on incarceration in the legal system. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And and Robin, talking about the situation here in the city of St. Louis today, it does feel like there have been some big changes. There are so many changes that are still needed. But does this feel like to you this, this is kind of a success, like St. Louis has moved the needle in the right direction? Or do you feel like there's just too much that still needs to change to even say that at this point? Oh, look, every step forward is a success, right? I mean, we're talking about dismantling a system that has been in existence for generations and systems do not go down without a fight. They will fight for their survival, right? So the idea that in St. Louis City, right, that that our team and coalition with lots of other people in St. Louis have been able to move change forward to the extent that they have in the past four years is incredible and and inspiring and really fills me with hope. I, I will also say that change is also never a straight line, right? So it's why it's critical that we build power in communities to continue the work, right? Who can push that change forward um, so that those systems don't recreate themselves and create the same harm. But certainly we think every time we close our doors because there's been significant change um, in a jurisdiction like St. Louis City, that's a success and that's a victory and something that we're incredibly proud of. And it sounds like you have a lot to be proud of in terms of Mike's role here. He started as a bail disruptor and now he's founded this really unique organization that is, is doing work that just feels very innovative. Um, do you look back on this as like, man, that was a good hire? <laughs> well, I pretty much knew from day one that Mike Milton was a fantastic hire and that we were unbelievably blessed and lucky to have him um, really start our team in St. Louis, work with us, become the manager of the policy in um, you know St. Louis and Missouri as a state. And so I couldn't be more grateful to the work that Mike has done. You know, he enhanced the bail project incredibly with his time with us. And we hope that our support of FCC will enhance his work moving forward. Um, so I'm very grateful to you, Mike. Thank you, Wow. So, Robin, just one last thing I wanted to touch on briefly here, and that is that while the the city of St. Louis Bail Project Office is closing, you continue to do the work in St. Louis County and St. Charles County. Those are not yet at a point where, where cash bail is not being regularly used. That's correct. And our, our local teams will continue to move that work forward until hopefully we can come back on the air with you and celebrate another victory that we've closed our doors and exited there as well. <laughs> well, we will look forward to that. Mike, I'm curious to have your take since you're on the ground in St. Louis and, and you have you really know what's going on in local courtrooms. Um, you know, yeah. we've talked about the step forward, the step back. Do you think overall you're winning the battle for hearts and minds or at this point, is that continuing to be a struggle as well? Ah, yeah, we're definitely winning um, as a movement. And uh, the biggest, the biggest uh, example of that is the, the type of power that we've been able to build around the closing of the workhouse. We made the, close, the, the closing of the workhouse a main um, election uh, issue, right? Um, we saw, I, I remember the, the, the day that the city de um, decided to defund it, um, we did a, 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 a car train through North St. Louis and just to see everybody come out of their houses and blow their horns and, and cheer us on and thank us for the work that we've done. And so I'm, I'm so positive that we will see mass incarceration reduced and eliminated in my lifetime because 
the type of people power that we've been able to build on the ground and the fact that so many people who are not educated around criminal justice issues, not educated around pre-child detention, is not educated in the power to fight. So I'm, I'm super excited about where we're going. We have we now have a progressive mayor. We have progressive prosecutors in both jurisdictions. There's, there's nothing uh, but to go but from up from here, and we will continue to hold those elected officials accountable so that we can get to the things that we deserve. Well, Mike Milton, uh, founder and CEO of the Freedom Community Center, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, too. And Robin Steinberg, CEO of The Bail Project, thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Sarah Fenske and Evie Hemphill, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. ChooseWood.com.